Was Q2's PE activity a slump or simply a stutter? Either way, European PE couldn't quite keep pace with the start of the year, but deal multiples continued to rise regardless. With the food and beverage sector joining the Double Figures Club and the UK and Ireland continuing to lead the pack, we discuss the results of the latest multiples heat map in this episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Welcome back to the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. I'm Tim Kimber, the pod's producer, and I'm delighted to be your host today. This episode will be pouring over the latest multiples heat map, composed in partnership with Clearwater International. The report looked at valuation trends for European private equity-backed transactions in the second quarter of 2021. The pace of European PE activity is back a little in Q2, but considering the astonishing highs reached at the beginning of the year, it's no surprise to find Q2 deal value reached the second highest level in seven years while deal volume recorded its third highest total. Having transitioned to remote working, the GP community appear to be putting the pandemic behind them in some respects, but also tapping into opportunities revealed in the post-COVID world, most notably in healthcare, TMT, financial services and business services. However, competition is hot and deal multiples have continued their indomitable climb. In Q2, the average EBITDA multiple paid over the last 12 months for European PE-backed transactions reached a whopping 11.8 times, a new record and the fifth quarterly increase. Unquote editor Greg Gilles spoke with several market experts at Clearwater to discuss the findings of the report in detail, beginning, as usual, with a macro view in a chat with Marcus Archer, Clearwater's managing partner and head of private equity. For a more focused, selective examination, Greg spoke with Clearwater partner Richard Goldsack about the busiest region in Europe, the UK and Ireland, and then with Clearwater managing partners John Sheridan and Philippe Gezinek on the trends driving the food and beverage sector. Lots to get stuck into then. So, without further ado, here's Greg and Marcus Archer to discuss the overall trends affecting PE pricing in Q2. Hello, I'm Greg Gilles, the editor of Unquote. As is now tradition, we're catching up with Marcus Archer, managing partner and head of private equity at Clearwater International, to get the lowdown on the main findings of the report. Marcus, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Great to be speaking again, Greg. Uh, so I guess it's not going to surprise many people that multiples continue to, to creep upwards in Q2. Uh, as, as the report shows, it's been inc- incredibly busy for everyone. And, and PE players in, in particular have been really, really keen to snap the assets that they have their eyes on. Uh, but beyond this sort of mild spoiler for, for the headline findings of the report, what, what were the main takeaways from the uh, Q2 hit map for you? Yeah, I think uh, that that is the big spoiler, I suppose, the over the last three quarters from Q4 2020 to this, um, we've we've seen the levels of volumes of deals, valleys of deals, um, as well as multiples creeping to you know the highest level they've been in the seven years that we've been doing this report. Um, all all of the recent quarters have been the highest on record, um, and the LTM multiples have you know climbed significantly into double digits, which is a new record, um, and it's an unbroken run of five quarterly increases, which is you know which is pretty much unprecedented. So the overall picture is, you know, is one of high levels of deal activity, deal volumes, you know, and deal deal valuations. Um, it's interesting to look at the regions, uh, the UK and Ireland in particular, as those that operate in that market will see has been really, really hot since pretty much last summer. 
Um, it's been a steady rise in deal volumes and multiples since Q2 2020. Um, only France has had a had a quicker period of pickup from COVID than the UK, uh, where they've had consistent growth since Q1 2020. Um, there's a really interesting chart that shows a really high volume of 15 times EBITDA plus multiples in the UK. Uh, more than 30 transactions in the last quarter of that level, which has driven up the multiples overall to significant levels in, in the low teens. Uh, the other region to note would be the southern region in Europe. Um, and that's seen the biggest increase in deal volumes, um, up almost 50%, the biggest increase in overall deal value um, as well. And then multiples have crept into double digit too. So from a, a slower recovery in Southern Europe, we've seen a dramatic pick up, pick up there. Um, and then if we look at size of deals, it'd be no surprise that there's a high volume of smaller transactions, particularly in the sub 50 million euro bracket, uh, which has been experiencing price inflation and high volumes of transactions, uh, but also at the top end, the volumes of deals above half a billion um, have also continued to rise quarter on quarter. So M&A activity is strong both at the lower end of the mid-market, um, you know, also up into the mega deal market. Um, so consistent consistent themes in terms of uh, volumes and multiples across all different segments of, of the market in terms of deal sizes. Um, yeah. So it's a of continued, continued heat. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to ask you about the the sectors that have sort of have been pushing multiples upwards. Uh, so since the beginning of the pandemic, I think it's quite clear to everyone now that you know healthcare, TMT, financial services, uh, all that has been really driving the the, the, the multiples creep, uh, and, and once again reached new highs in terms of multiples in Q two. But even in less hot sectors, I, I would say that the flight to quality is, is meant that only the best assets tend to come to market. Uh, do you see a point in the coming month where deal flow becomes a, a bit more diversified, maybe in terms of the market segments that are really attracting a lot of uh, private equity attention and competition, uh, but also in terms of quality, uh, a broader range of uh, you know attractiveness, so to speak, uh, and potentially easing pressure on valuations? Yeah, it's, no, it's interesting. And I think a lot of that heat in those three sectors, um, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a new description of private equity called conviction investing. Um, and there have been a number of funds that have felt really strongly that they need a platform in those sectors you just mentioned. Uh, they've been paying high prices. They've been preempting. They've been have, having bilateral conversations, the equity underwriting, uh, they're closing deals in ludicrously short time frames versus what we're used to historically. And that conviction investing has driven high multiples and high volumes in, in those three sectors that you mentioned. Um, the themes, I think, that, that are coming through are more about, um, you know, type of deal. And characteristics of deal which is going to start to span across multiple sectors um you know resilient and growth and businesses that have pivoted towards digital are things we picked up in the past um but across all sectors there's going to be tech, tech disruption um and businesses that have pivoted their models and are being more disruptive in the way that they do things or embracing technology to disrupt um, across all sectors will start to become more and more interesting to investors um and the big thing that that everybody will be seeing over the last 12 months is um, the ESG and the impact and the sustainability aspects of deals, um, and again, those characteristics can span span multiple sectors, just not the three that we've we've just talked about there as the as the hottest ones. Um, so we're seeing more of that coming through industrials, um, and we're seeing uh, at least early signs um, of a pickup across the consumer sector. So whilst we've seen good levels of activity in e-commerce, we're expecting to see more to start to come through, uh, you know, perhaps later this year, or I mean, certainly during the course of next year. Um, across the hospitality space and across multi-site leisure, which is clearly a sector that's been hit quite hard through COVID. Um, but I think those characteristics that I described across all sectors will start to see a bigger diversity across sectors. 
um, and there will continue to be strong competition to deploy because I think a number of funds are still behind the curve um, and they are being beaten by the conviction investors an awful lot in processes. Um, so I'd expect uh, once the conviction investors have, have finished their deployment um, or got to where they want to be in terms of their deployment, the field will be more open for other investors to start to see the benefits of investing in high quality assets. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and finally, uh, while deal volumes were certainly still very near record highs in, in Q2, we, we did see deal flows slow down a, a little bit, perhaps, uh, especially in, in the UK, funny enough, where I think it, it went back to being the sort of the usual market share that the UK would have in, in Europe um, across the board, not just for the UK, but for Europe as well. Do, do you anticipate that to be a bit of a, a temporary blip or are we getting to a point where PE players in, in particular might be looking at slowing down the investment base just just a little bit and maybe start being a little bit more selective uh i feel i feel it's a temporary blip um you know how sustainable the, the heat that we saw through the end of last year and the earlier this year is you know is there is there to question and is that going to carry on for another six 12 or 18 months i don't think anybody can really really know but everyone will have views um you know if we look at our own volumes of work um we had a quieter q2 over q1 but q3 and q4 look really strong um, if we look across the diligence market and you try to find a financial diligence or commercial diligence house to help over the summer, they're all stacked out and you can't get anybody to do any work for at least four to six weeks in most cases. Uh, and that all points to a strong period of completions in Q4 and Q1, which is a bit of COVID catch up, a bit of tax. Uh, you know, Q2 was a heavy period of pitching and preparation, um, which is continuing through the summer. So we're expecting another wave of um, process launches to come after the after the summer period and through the winter. Um, so I think Q2 being light uh, will be corrected in Q3 where we see high volumes again, which will continue into Q4. Yeah, and again for the the purpose of clarification, by light we still mean very very busy indeed, and uh, and yeah, I'm sure we'll 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 see the, the result of these uh, sort of these pipelines progressing in the Q3 heat map, and then most likely the, the Q4 one as well. Uh, thanks a lot, Marcus. A uh, pleasure to speak with you as always. My pleasure. Thanks, Greg. Fascinating stuff. And it sounds as though Q2 will be considered a mere stutter in European PE's barnstorming growth trajectory. Whatever the case, one of the biggest drivers is likely to be the powerhouse of the UK and Ireland, which remained the most active market in Europe, despite a slight slowdown. A rich pool of attractive assets in the technology, financial and healthcare sectors helped push average entry multiples to new heights in Q2, Greg Gill caught up with Clearwater partner Richard Goldsack to get his take on the multiples increase in the British Isles and what to expect for the rest of the year. I am now talking to Richard Goldsack, a partner at Clearwater International based in Leeds. Richard, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you. Um, so I take it you haven't had much chance for a holiday this summer, Richard. A very, very busy market in the UK indeed, uh, especially in the in the core mid market and the upper mid market. What's been your take on how Q2 unfolded for PE activity after what was already a very hectic first quarter? Yeah, so, you know, it's been busy, which we won't complain about. Um, but yeah, I think you, you saw the, you know, the, I guess the surge in quarter one was largely driven by the capital gains concerns which didn't materialize in the end in february march but i think you know the the new trend or the, the trend that we saw in the, in the second quarter was it, it's just a very good time for uh you know sellers to go to market so you know multiples are 
as you can see in the data, pretty high uh, across sectors. So, you know, it's, it's a seller's market. There's a lot of uh, money around trying to invest in good deals. So I think rather than um, just the private sellers worried about capital gains tax, we've seen a lot of activity PE to PE, you know, private equity sellers taking advantage of market conditions. Yeah, and in terms of pricing, uh, as, as you said, the, the heat map report shows that the last 12-month average entry multiple for UK bouts to that, I think, about 13.x um, times EBITDA in Q2, and that's up by nearly two and a half turns uh, year on year, actually making the UK the most expensive PE market in Europe. Uh, have you ever seen a UK market that frothy? And, and what is driving that in your view? I think you've touched on, on, on a few points there, but especially uh, when processes are concerned, what are kind of the, the drivers there? Yeah, so I think a few things that you say, we've probably not seen anything like this since... 2006, 2007, before the, the global financial crisis. But I think even then, multiples weren't as high as, as what they what they are now. So I think a few trends I would say are coming in. You know, the US, um, US buyers, be they trade or private equity, I think are becoming more prevalent, uh, particularly post-Brexit. It's seen as a safer, um, safer place to invest. And the multiples in the US are typically higher anyway. So I think we're seeing a bit of that you know, US firms coming in because the UK looks cheap, both from a multiple and still a currency perspective. Um, I think what we've seen is, you know, the good, the good, the, the really good businesses are transacting. So, you know, the multiples are probably skewed a bit by the fact that, you know, it's it's the great businesses that are trading who will always go for a higher price. So you say in, a, in a seller's market, what what goes first is the businesses that are transacting at a high price. So I think there's a there is definitely another layer beneath that of maybe less quality businesses that either aren't trading or are trading at, at much lower multiples. And then, yeah, I think the third is just the weight of money, you know, from both debt funds and private equity is driving pretty competitive market. You've got bigger PE funds stepping down um, and everybody chasing for quality. So a business that's withstood COVID and come through well the other side, um, it's a great time to be selling that kind of business. Yeah, and, and where do you see deal flow and, and uh, I think pricing in tandem, I guess, uh, going after the summer? You've mentioned the fact that it's um, not even bifurcated, it's the wrong word, because it's it's really just a flight to quality and, and that selling. Do you foresee any kind of a, a bit of leveling and some perhaps less, um, you know, high highly sought after uh, assets actually coming to market and maybe starting to, to drag some of the pricing down? Or do you think we're, we're, we're still in for a, a very, very busy, high quality, high, very pricey second half of the year or what, what's left of it? Yeah, I mean, it, does it feel sustainable for multiples to be that high mm. for the next year or two? Probably not. Um, but I do think, you know, certainly the next six months will continue to be active. I think there may well be a, another surge of uh, capital gains tax concerns, you know, come come February. You know, who knows what will happen in the autumn statement. So, um, but yeah, I think there's still all of those themes will still apply. I think the overseas investors and buyers will still be there. There'll still be a lot of money, you know, and will, the, you know, there'll still be some great quality businesses coming. So the average might drop down a bit, but not significantly. Okay. And um, in terms of uh, sector, which I didn't ask you about um, earlier, um, 
obviously Q1 was, um, and, and even Q4 last year, it, it was very clear that um, t- any sort of technology angle was really, really driving uh, processes and, and really driving pricing as well. Um, has that has that continued to be the case? Uh, do you see other sectors maybe that, that are starting to rally a little bit where, where there's a bit more PE interest or is it still very kind of uh, technology, healthcare driven in, in the UK at least? Yeah, so I think... Um Look, tech and healthcare are definitely the the strongest sectors, which you know, probably different reasons. Healthcare is definitely uh, seen as a kind of a bellwether, and you know, will always be pretty sustainable. Tech definitely has taken off. I think you know, other sectors are probably catching up. We're seeing more happening in industrials as as we come out of COVID. I think you know, there's a lot of activity in consumer parts of consumer, which are kind of e-commerce driven, um, and trying to get a level on what's the new normal in a kind of e-commerce trading sense. Um, you know, financial services, I think, will will bounce back strongly. So, yeah, look, it, it's definitely been tech and healthcare led as we've come out of the, the pandemic, but I think other sectors are catching up and probably those businesses have just been harder to form a view on what a, a normal level of earnings is. Um, so, yeah, I think there'll be more activity. Maybe that will kind of bring down multiples a bit just because they're, they're not historically as high a, high a multiple sector. Absolutely, and uh, we'll we'll see what the next edition of the heat map is in store, both for uh, kind of volume of activity and, and for pricing as well. But it certainly would be surprising to see it being quite uh, quite punchy for the the, the coming month. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Richard. A pleasure. Thank you, Greg. Well, some really interesting takeaways there. But now for some other interesting takeaways in the food and beverages sector. This was one of the few business segments that until recently was still seeing average entry multiples in the single digits. Only a year ago, the average price in the sector stood at 9.4 times EBITDA. Fast forward a year and you're now looking at an increase of more than two turns to 11.7 times. Greg spoke with Clearwater Managing Partners John Sheridan and Philip Gezinek to hear their views on this upward trend. I'm now joined by John Sheridan, Managing Partner at Clearwater International in Ireland. Hi, John. Hi, Gregoire. And we're also joined by uh, Philippe Gezinek, a Managing Partner in the Paris office. Hi, Philippe. Thank you so much for calling in as well. Hi, Greg. Um, Right. Up until recently, food and beverages was one of the few market segments that was still seeing average entry multiples in the single digits for for PE buyouts, according to the, the Clearwater multiples heat map. But I think it's fair to say it really stood out for us in the Q2 edition of the heat map as the average multiple increased by 2.2 turns of EBITDA on the last 12-month basis to reach 11.7 times EBITDA. Uh, and that is basically a faster increase rate than the average across all sectors, which from memory was around 1.4 turns. Um, John, Philippe, you both have experience dealing with this sector. Were you surprised by that increase over the past 12 months? And perhaps you can share your thoughts on what are some of the trends that you see driving that? Yeah, um, Greg, I'll kick off maybe. I mean, the a lot of this, uh, we've gone through an exceptional pandemic, uh, as everyone's aware, uh, in the last 18 months. So nobody knew really at the start where this was going. But what we've observed is that you know, stronger multiples are now being paid for businesses that have proved to be really resilient and defensible through that pandemic period. And and they're now commanding uh, higher multiples than they would have uh, 18 months ago. I think the 
the trends probably driving this might be summarized as as simple as, as healthy eating. Um, people are more socially and environmentally responsible. There's a bigger focus on veganism, sustainable production, um, natural based ingredients, whether that be plant-based or otherwise. I think another big trend we've seen uh, which has driven valuation is is the whole digital transformation side. So this new concept of direct-to-consumer models, um, which is really an e-commerce and, and home delivery play has really taken off. So you've seen this sort of increase in consumer spending through COVID. Remember that during this period, people haven't been able to go anywhere. You've had hospitality closed. Um, so, you know, there's been limited uh, ability for people to where, where they choose to spend their money. So if you have a very slick operation and we can touch on a few examples, maybe in a minute, um, what we've seen is those type of businesses that, that, have, that have really nailed the digital transformation in particular, uh, added to the, the, the sort of healthy living concept have really proven to, to attract very strong multiples. And I, yes, I would add that uh, the food and bev market is, is is very resilient, but also there is a lot of money on the on the market, and PP in particular, have raised a lot of money. And uh, uh, in order to invest that money, they have a few sectors which has been um, during the COVID and the pandemic uh, highlighted, like tech, for example, healthcare, and food and bev. Uh, those three sectors uh, has been very, very booming uh, during the last uh, 20 to 18 months. And uh, that's why the, the, the statistic for the second half of 2020 uh, was uh, very good uh, in Europe and uh, in particular for those three sectors. So a lot of money, a resilient sector and a new habit of consumption, as John mentioned before, uh, with uh, natural trend, uh, e-commerce and so on and so on. That's clearly what explains the, the very booming and selective food and beverage market. Yeah, yes. and maybe we, we can touch it back into sort of the private equity versus trade um, buyer model in, in a second, but maybe just to put a bit of color on some of the transactions that we've seen, some we've been advised on, some some not. I mean, there's a fantastic uh, food and beverage company, Kerry Group, which is now a global player. And we've seen them moved, you know, very focused on buying ingredients businesses with, with particular technologies. So they would have, you may have seen, they bought a company called Niaset in June and, and at a double digit sort of mid-teens multiple. Uh, on the flip side, they'd sold their meat business at, at a you know a more average eight and a half times twenty one EBITDA multiple. And this show this is an example of of the sort of specialist ingredient premium that we're seeing um, being paid. Um, our, our our Swedish colleagues uh, advised on the sale of a business called Brodernus, which is a mixture of uh, a burger chain business. With um with a with 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 very healthy plant based products as well, you know one of the trends we're seeing, and I'm sure Philippe is seeing the same, is, is for these retail chains that are offering something a little bit uh, healthier. Let's say we're seeing one of the reasons that the multiples are going up is that buyers are prepared to pay full full run rate EBITDAs on stores that have only just been opened in the last uh, couple of months. And that's probably a, a change from maybe 12 or 18 months ago. So there's just two, two examples. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think looking at um, 
recent, especially at the larger end of the market, the recent buyouts in this in this space. Um, I think we've we've seen uh, Selena, which is obviously very specialized ingredients. I think that that was quite a, a punchy multiple, uh, but but others have been a, a bit more. Uh, normal, if uh, if we can define normal these days, but so you're right, yeah, a lot of dispersion, I think, within that. Uh, and you've touched on the one one aspect that is really interesting is the the amount of capital that that private equity brings to the table that needs to be deployed and how that that impacts trends. Um, I would have thought of food and beverage as one of the sectors where the competition between uh, P players and strategics would be quite fierce. Um, what's your take on how that has evolved in recent months um, and which type of buyer do you see mostly driving prices up? I'm sure we both have views on that. I, I, as Philippe said earlier, I mean, we just see this wall of private equity capital. And um, I think the difference now is you've no, you've a number of private equity firms that are now specializing in subsectors like ingredients, the likes of Andera Partners or um, Miru, um, Payne Schwartz Partners. So that that is probably a difference. The private equity world has got that little bit more educated. Um, uh, and, and you've got the size of these funds, like, you know, the, the, the likes of Bain Capital came out as the buyer of choice for Vallejo Foods. Um, so when you're into that sort of multi-billion territory, that traditionally may have may have been um, restricted to trade buyers, but now the buyer funds are so big that they're competing. And they they all the other trend we're seeing is they're moving faster to close out transactions than their equivalent trade trade players. I totally agree. Uh, uh, and, and the cost of money for P is so low could be debt, it could be equity, that at the end of the day, uh, PE are competing and, and expecting very unusual, I would say, uh, return. Uh, for example, here in France, we have been involved in a, uh, a process um, in a pasta business, which is not the most appealing business uh, in the world with a, uh, not a, a huge uh, growth. But at the end of the day, uh, there was two competitors, one trade buyers and one uh, PE called CVC, which at the end of the day was the winner. Uh, and from my point of view, uh, the business plan proposed by the management uh, compared to the price paid by CVC, at the end of the day, the return should be between 10 and 12% for a 550 million euro EV transaction. So they are very, very uh, aggressive in terms of price. And due to the fact that the money they earn from banks and from their LPs, uh, they have a, a very low uh, interest rate. Uh, so they are ready to pay a high price and with a decent return, but not a huge return. So at the end of the day, there is a fierce competition from PE. Uh, and as John mentioned before, uh, they are now ready to move rapidly to preempt process. Uh, you mentioned Solina, Greg, before. Uh, Solina has been preemptive at something like 8.5 times the BDA. Uh, so at the end of the day, when there is a, a beautiful niche player, the price is, uh, I would say, crazy or very high, very high, very high multiple. Um, in particular, in those sectors, which is uh, gluten-free, meat-free, this kind of new products uh, are natural ingredients, uh, beautiful brands. If you have some specific assets or specific market share, uh, more than 15 times the BDA is something you can see very frequently. Yeah. And um, you, you've mentioned some trends here that are 
obviously uh, they've been accelerated by, by the pandemic, but most of them were actually there before that. And I think we've seen that interest uh, peaking for, for, for private equity before that. Just, uh, you know, in a couple of minutes here at the end, can I, could I get your take on uh, what do you expect when it comes to activity in this segment over the coming month? Are we, are we still likely to see quite a lot of, uh, quite a lot of attention from private equity and, and trade? And uh, do, you, do you expect pricing to move maybe a little bit differently? Is it more likely to settle on a, on a bigger dispersion of, uh, of multiples? I think I think what we have to differentiate almost is is the really big uh, buyout transaction sizes. Like in the press currently, you're, we're seeing, you know, the very active sale of of Morrison's and and to that sort of private equity versus trade um, debate. Um, I mean, that's very much looking like a private equity transaction with Fortress Investment Group. You know, having already bid eleven times EBITDA, and and you're seeing other parties come to the table like. Clayton Dublier and Rice, and who who have now backed uh, got backing from GIC, the the Singaporean sovereign wealth fund. So you know, but the, again, that that's a that's a nine and a half ten billion transaction. Um, another interesting one, although not um, not based in Europe, but I think we can take from the the trends here. You've got Tate and Lyle looking to sell off its sweetener division to focus on healthier products. So they're selling that to KPS, another private equity buyout fund, um, uh, to try and re-rate its own its own uh, multiple. You know, by 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 focusing on higher profit, um, healthier eating option division. So you know, I think they are they're very two very live transactions. So I I think you're going to see this trend continue. Yeah. Clearly, uh, from a French perspective, so the PE were so busy uh, in April, May, June, and July. We have decided to postpone until September some sales side process in this food and bev. And we know that the guy from PE are, are waiting uh, and expecting to, to maybe to preempt our, our process. So we clearly expect that at least at the end, until the end of the year and maybe next year, uh, we will continue to have this uh, uh, trend uh, with high multiples, fierce competition between trade and PE, uh, and also some some cross-border transaction, uh, which was not the case in particular in Southern Europe, uh, but from time to time we now, we now see some uh, groups coming from uh, foreign countries and uh, considering some acquisition in France or in Spain, in Italy. So, yes, market will continue to be very, very booming in the coming years. I'm, I'm afraid it's all we have time for, but uh, certainly a fascinating sector to look into and, and quite a lot of uh, processes to, to keep an eye on indeed. Uh, John, Philippe, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Gregor. Pleasure. Thank you, Greg. Bye-bye. definitely a sector to keep an eye on. There's much more to the report, of course, so I recommend you download a copy and discover how entry multiples have been progressing in all the other regions of Europe, besides the UK and Ireland, as well as how pricing is differentiated between sectors. You'll find a link to the PDF in the episode notes, but you can also find it easily both on unquote.com and Clearwater's own website. That's it for this episode of the pod. Look out for a special In Conversation with edition in a couple of weeks' time featuring Adam Turtle from Reed Partners. Until then, 
thanks again to Clearwater International for sponsoring this episode. And thank you all, of course, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe on your platform of choice. And as ever, happy investing. <laughs>